northern Australia, there are 5,000 square miles of sand, scrub, and searing heat. A desolate, primitive place that can take a man and destroy him. They call it the Outback. Rated R. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Chris Honeywell is an internet loudmouth. I guess one little drinky poo won't hurt. Hated and reviled by his few remaining friends, he catches the attention of Thomas DJ, perhaps the world's most cunning supervillain. Ensconced in his ultra-scientific hideout, with only his robot army and stunning assistant to keep him company, DJ springs into action. Is this idiocy? Virginia, use the molecular transmigration beam to bring this fool to me! Virginia trains the hellish mechanism, and with a clap like thunder and in a blinding psychedelic light, Chris Honeywell stands before his tormentor. Normally, I do not suffer fools, but I see beyond the yawning of ignorance that is your brain and the endless sluice of sewage which is your mouth that they form a basic animal intelligence that I may be able to mold to my own devices. Uh, okay. Therefore, in my mercy, I offer you two choices. Instant painless disintegration or you study grindhouse movies at my feet now! Choose! Uh, I choose not disintegration. So be it. In one month, I shall assign you a movie to watch and will summon you again. Be ready, or the consequences shall be swift and merciless. Right, but how do I get to the... Now go! And thus began one of the most dangerous and unpredictable endeavors in evil sciencing. The Honeywell Experiment! Virginia, summon the subject! We missed last year, but I'm honored to say that here on the Honeywell Experiment, we're putting aside the usual theatrics uh, to once again welcome back our friend uh, and one of the great encyclopedias of musical, of musical, <laughs> one of the great encyclopedias <laughs> of film knowledge, because we, we were talking about Bentles anything earlier. Um, and we're gonna be talking about a legendary film that was integral to creating the Osploitation subgenre, 1970s Wake in Fright. I'm Tom DJ, and of course, the man with the copy of Brian's book, Adventures in the Bee Trade, is Chris Honeywell across Hello. the And of course, we have the man himself. Brian, welcome back to the show. It's always a pleasure to get a chance to talk to you. 
It's a pleasure to be on your show as always. And I have always wanted to have you on for this particular film because it had such an impact, I think, on the way Australian, the Australian film industry developed throughout the 70s. That's true. And, and um, this is this is not an easy watch for, pe oh, for people. It's uh, especially if you're traumatized by animals uh, slaughter, because <laughs> there there is some actual animal slaughter. Sorry, there's a phone call. It's uh, okay. It's gonna go away. Okay. Um. Sorry. I assume you can edit that out. Oh, yeah. yes. Okay. okay. Anyway, bring on. So, and this is what, as I was telling you before we started, Brian, what I like to refer to is Everywhere Has a Wild West movie. Yes. Where um, you get a, civil, a civilized person goes into another area of, his, of a country and the country shows him what for. Yes, yeah. Much I, like um, straw dogs. Yes, yes, uh, and uh, yeah, it's a you know, a classic fish out of water tale. But I see it as Australia's first horror movie. Yes. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, not that it was perceived as such, though it was greeted with horror by many Australians who thought it, it was a savage put down of Australian culture, exaggerated out of all recognition uh, to you know, suggest the country is peopled by you know, aggressively uh, hospitable alcoholics uh, and, uh, uh, and so forth. So um, the social satire that was in Ken Cook's original book as very well brought out in the film. Uh, and a lot of Australians didn't like, you know, Ken Cook's, you know, message in the book either. Mm -hmm. The book was well regarded, uh, but uh, there was a sort of, you know, counter movement to it to say that this is, this, this book rubbishes Australia. And there was a concern that a film made by a Canadian film director they had a good experience in Canada and in England and was, you know, a, a man at the top of his game uh, uh, back in 1970. Um, a young guy with long, you know, long hair, uh, you know, looked like a hippie, uh, coming to Broken Hill uh, and all the extras in the film are, uh, are you know, in, in certainly that big pub scene that those are local Broken Hill people. Uh, and the, the two-up game, those are, that's, that, that was shot in, in Sydney, recruiting members of an illegal two-up game who brought all the regulars. Uh, and they were, they, they, they were, they staged the scene uh, for the director and participated in it and he really performed rather well. So, Really, he he got involved in the, in the local culture and he brought it out onto the screen as he saw it. Uh, but the film did, you know, shock um, some Australian critics uh, who thought it was you know unfair 
and this is you know uh, and and presented a poor image of Australia to the world. Of course, it was a huge success at Cannes, and it's the only film that has ever been repeated at Cannes. They had a repeat screening of it uh, in 2009, and the uh, only other film was premiered at the Cannes Film Festival and won awards La, La Aventura, Antonioni's film. That was the only one that was ever repeated at Cannes other than Wake in Fright. Uh, so, um, it's a it's it's one of the great Australian films, and as the country became more sophisticated uh, in its taste, um, its qualities became recognised, and that probably led to its rediscovery and restoration. I mean, that's something else we haven't mentioned yet, which is for a while it was considered a lost film. Mm, yes, yeah. And, Lost films need to be restored, and uh, if you look at my my website and uh, where I've written about Mamba, the 1930 mm -hmm. two-strip Technicolor film that was lost because the original negative and all existing nitrate prints um, were sold to be used as fuel in the burning of Atlanta uh, for Gone with the Wind. Uh, films made on nitrate stock were, you know, it was no longer safe to use, uh, a new emulsion had taken over, and so the, this was all junk as far as they were concerned, and no one's releasing these films anymore, so hey, let's burn them. Um, they, they didn't see television ahead, they didn't see video ahead, right. uh, they didn't see the, the necessity to preserve cultural artifacts. Uh, the same thing is happening right now with um, the early early television. Mm, yes. Especially, I'm I my favorite television show of all time is The Avengers from the oh, '60s. Yes, I, I I grew up on that. I I, I love that show to death. I I know it, most episodes backwards and forwards, and there's still about 23 episodes that we'll probably never see again. Yeah. yeah. Well, did you ever see any of the original Honor Blackman? Yes, uh, I like I've seen everyone. Okay, good. I, I recently saw the what remains of the um, the first season with uh, Dr. Keel. And mm -hmm. everything from the second season on, I have seen multiple times. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah. well, there's some I, live, I lead a sad life. <laughs> and I agree. And I'm glad they preserved Mamba. And it took the yeah. same kind of joint effort that you see in the preservation uh, of Wake in Fright that was you know, put together by various parties, as you see in the credits at the end of the Blu-ray. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, thankfully, you know, good of those people to, you know, and those corporations to put the energy and the time behind it to, to make it happen so that this film can be, can live forever uh, in mm -hmm. some, some media, you know, some physical media form, even if, 35 millimeter prints uh, are no like 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 nitrate prints. Right. Uh, you know, are, are gone the way of the dinosaurs. Um, and uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm I'm glad of that. And um, luckily, some of my better films are, are now preserved on Blu-ray uh, and so forth, and uh, are undergoing a 
a kind of a, a, a resurgence of interest. You know, um, Man from Hong Kong, Stunt Rock, um, to name about two. Um, anyway, back to Wake in Fright. Now, yes. as, what do you feel about about it as Americans? Let me just say this: that I think this is a this. I see this as a film about toxic masculinity. It is an indictment of toxic masculinity that I don't think has ever been done as powerfully uh, before. Uh, I mean, there were films that came up in the 70s that America did very, you know, with a lot of you know, similar social criticism. Mm -hmm. And maybe there were some uh, you know, emerging in the late 60s. But uh, this, you know, this was a real indictment of toxic masculinity that I hadn't seen, I mean, it, it, 20 years, more than 20 years later, uh, men behaving badly is a, was an example, but that was probably in that primarily in, in, in relation to the treatment of women. But um, there were few films that really tackled this head on uh, and, uh, um, you know, really let you have it. Um, and particularly the, the culture of, of alcohol uh, mm -hmm. seemed to be um, worshipped, let's say, uh, in Australia. Um, and I remember arriving in Australia in 1966, um, mm -hmm. being you know, surprised at how alcohol was pushed on you. And yeah. it was almost a symbol, uh, a sign of your masculinity. You know, you've mm -hmm. got to be able to have a few beers, mate. You know, you've got to be, come to the pub at lunch. You know, you'll be all right in the afternoon. Don't worry, a couple of <laughs> beers, you'll be fine. We'll, we'll see you through. You know, I was a news film cutter. I had to mm. cut the, the, the news, the, the, uh, and, and the big stories were starting to come in from noon onwards, but we might take a lunch break at one uh, mm -hmm. or 12, come back uh, certainly by 1.30, and then it's hell for leather to get all those stories cut as they came off the processor and onto telecine and out live at 6.30. So, but there was a culture of alcohol, and then you go to the pub after with your mates, uh, and then you go home. So, um, so I think you know one thing is that if this film is to be discussed, it certainly should be discussed over a beer. Pacific Northwest IPA, which mm. I will now open. Um, and uh, certainly this is a film that ought to be shown at AA meetings. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you really want to have a skin full of beer every night, uh, for, yeah, forever, um, uh, look at your possible fate uh, in this film. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, look at, look at is, Donald Pleasant. Is, is, is the perfect... You see, I like... I felt this like I grew up in the in northern New York on the Canadian border, it, pretty much in the middle of nowhere, not as remote as this. But I've lived I lived in in northern Minnesota, which was really, really remote. And when you get out in the country like that, where you get out away from everywhere else in this sort of isolated areas, it's very I mean, this has an Australian flavor to it, but I've I've been in situations similar to this where you know everybody's drinking why aren't you drinking you know what what's wrong with you yes look yeah. at the head on this beer i mean look uh. at that. Uh. <laughs> 
There you go. Okay, let's get everyone lathering. See, there. if, right. if, if we were really in Wake and Fright, that beer would have been gone right now. Yeah. Been uh, the way they gulped it down, you know, and, uh, oh, God, I, I can't drink beer that fast. I wouldn't it, drink it. The two, the, the two things, as far as motifs in this film, it is the drinking, because I don't think there is... More than two minutes where somebody isn't drinking in this film, but yeah. also the desolation. Yeah, nothing else. There's nothing with. else there. <laughs> yeah, we get hit with right from the first frame of the film with that panning shot over uh, the train tracks. Yeah, over yeah. Grant's quote unquote town. Yes. Yeah. No, it's uh, <laughs> and. Uh, it, let me tell you about that shot. Uh, that that required meticulous skill by the camera operator to do a 360 degree pan, keeping a very even movement the whole time because he would be panning it by hand. Uh, or with, there are no with, steady cams at this point. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, no it could have. Look, I, I have a feeling that. It was strictly with the pan handle, and mm -hmm. it was off and everything. But uh, there were cameras in those days that you were using the wheels, so you mm -hmm. could make you could adjust up, down, as well as left right. to right. But uh, but he, probably the pan handle. Anyway, it it it, it require it, it's the it's the shot that says everything about the movie, the opening shot, um, and therefore it has to be executed properly, and a camera operator can make a mess of that and in those days there's no video playback right what you you found out about the next day or if you're shooting in broken hill maybe two days later and if it was out of focus or if there was a a, a blip uh or suddenly you went a little faster and then you corrected mm -hmm. um uh then the shot would not have worked as, as effectively so I, I singled this shot out because of course the camera operator was a man by the name of Johnny McLean, and he eventually got promoted and became a director of photography himself, uh, and was my director of photography on uh, Turkey Shoot uh, and Frog Dreaming, otherwise known as The Quest in the States and Canada. Uh, so it's my opportunity to give Johnny, who I don't, uh, he, he was not well the last time, I, I think he's no longer with us. Uh, but he may be if I'm him an injustice. Um, <laughs> rise again, John. Uh, uh, anyway, he he did a terrific job, uh, and uh, uh, but this is a measure of his skill as as a camera operator by hand, making the the the, the smooth 360 degree pan perfectly timed um, uh, from start to finish. So it's just one of the many skills that uh, film technicians have to have. Uh, and I, I, I look at the credits of, the, of, of Wake in Fright and I see so many people that I've known and worked with. The film editor, Anthony Buckley, became a, a very successful and esteemed producer. Luckily, he is still with us uh, in his mid-80s. Uh, still going strong um, and trying preparing another book and a documentary, I think. Um, but he went on to make a number of, uh, you know, sp 
acclaimed Australian films, one called Caddy, which was an early success, is uh, The Killing of Angel Street. Um, anyway, a, a bunch of them and some prestige miniseries. Um, so he, he had a great career. Uh, this first assistant director, Howard Ruby, became a director and worked mainly in television. Uh, but um, it, it, the, the cast is full of the, the cast is full of actors who continued to go on to good acting careers as the Australian film industry progressed from 1960. And I worked with John Mellion, uh, and uh, yeah, um, I never worked with Chips Rafferty. Wow, what an actor! As the the, the, the town despot, uh, the local yeah. cop. Uh, who controls the country town. And that's the way it was uh, in country towns. Um, he was a big man. Uh, and yeah, I, I one of my next door neighbors, her father was a country cop uh, who was retired. And I used to hear interesting stories from him whenever he came over for Sunday lunch and we were invited over. It, you know, the country cops were you know, the authority figure, and they sorted out problems, you know, by themselves, you know, uh, didn't want to bring in the state guys, uh, and uh, let alone the feds, hate the feds. Uh, but anyway, so, uh, it, so much of the, the ambience in uh, Wake and Fright is uh, really derived from the way things were in the Australian outback. So, I mean, what similarities would you say other than the ones you mentioned with uh, rural Canada? Um, the the isolated. It's um, or or in the um, I've had experience. I've had a lot of experiences as you go further south in the United States too. Um, one one specifically. It, this doesn't sound too southern, but Pennsylvania, that towards the southern end of Pennsylvania. Um, I had a, a classmate who I was in college with and her grandmother would go away every year and all the people in her town would have a party at her grandmother's house, which was mm -hmm. often some tiny, tiny rural town. And so we traveled down there to go to her grandma's house party and basically everybody from her town, probably in their twenties, but up to like forties were showing up and it, it took place in the house and in the woods behind the house for three or four days just straight through wow. and uh yeah it, there was a lot of aggressive aggressive drinking and if you weren't keeping up pe people could start to get hostile and then you know after after a couple days there were bonfires and then the locals were like hey let's play the jump over the bonfire game and let's play the and then drink 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 let's play the who can stand on top of the bonfire <laughs> you know longest game and and on and on and i'm i'm a failure as a drinker i can i'm i i'll i'll drink every once in a while there's a few things i enjoy i'm not a big beer drinker so i was probably the most like cogent person there and it was after after three days it was exhausting it was it was hellish just like this movie is almost like a yes. purgatory hell for this guy it, it it gets like that when you're around people the fireman's field days in my hometown would would be like that jolly firemen at the beginning of the field days firemen and locals looking to get in fights by you know 11 o'clock at night and you had to be careful 
not to bump into anybody <laughs> and stuff like yeah. that. No, it, it it is, you know, a lost weekend to quote another, you know, film about alcoholism. Um, right. it, but it, it's it's a it's a descent into hell uh, that you know is you know really uh, the result of you know the weakness of the, of, of character of the of yeah. our character. And John likes to think that he is above yeah. these people. Yes, that's right. But he, he brings everything on himself. Absolutely. Yeah. He so, goes in. That's always how it is, too. Yeah. He, yeah. he leaves yeah. while he's ahead and goes back to his room and looks at that money and says, I should make more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, of, he, look, he looks at yeah. the books, his dreadful the job he started to hate as a teacher, not realizing yeah. actually what... Uh, yeah, what a blessing, what a joy being a teacher could be if you took it seriously. Uh, mm-hmm. Just didn't think of it as a rote job, uh, as he does so obviously in the opening scenes. Oh, he's yeah. not his students, uh, and they're not interested in him. Uh, it's like he's a visitor he's from another planet uh, to them. Um, and uh, similarly, he believes he's on another planet with these really strange, primitive, barbaric aliens. Um, but, uh, but he finds, <laughs> just you be careful, you rub shoulders with these primitive, barbaric right. aliens. Too closely, uh, they, they may find ways of, um, of allowing your fatal flaws to take you over. And, uh, Although so it's I, interesting how, uh, and we'll get, to, we'll get to Donald Pleasance in a moment, but how Pleasance presents throughout most of the film, and then in that last scene where he's in his civilized persona, he's almost a different person entirely. Yeah. That well, last what... scene is strange to me. That whole last sequence is almost, it's almost like if, like I was, when I was watching the movie, I was thinking, if you were one of those people who's prone to be like, this movie is actually taking place in hell or, you know, it's all a dream or something, it plays into that. He can't get, you know, he can't get out. He's got sort of Donald Pleasance as the devil. But then at the end, after his suicide attempt, you know, it, it all just sort of hits fast forward till he's getting released a few days later with no bandage or no you know wound on his head and i was wondering is this supposed to mean you know maybe he's died and this is you know donald pleasance is looking is a completely different person and looking respectable it was very it was it was a very strange ending and and uh maybe i'm used to more i i i'm used to like the more modern ones are just going to follow him right until, you know, the leaving Las right. Vegas sort of plan, you know. I do have and, a uh, weird question for you, though, Brian, because when I was watching this film, one film that I, w- that I was reminded of quite a bit was Nightmare Alley. Yes. Yeah. No. And the way I almost expected him to stay in the Yaba, mm. and just say, this is who I am. Much yeah. like Tyrone Powers does in, in that film. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a place to give up. It's where you just mm-hmm. give up and you just sort of 
just sort of enjoy yourself as you as you spiral down you know um i yeah. i've also known a lot of people who've had you know been in various stages of alcoholism and if you get a large group of alcoholics together and they're fueling each other it's yeah yeah well, it's interesting. I was hired by Bill Harmon, one of the producers, to adapt the next another Ken Cook book called the uh, The Man Underground. Mm -hmm. It's set in the opal mining community of Whitecliffs. It never came to anything. Uh, I think he really intended it to be a vehicle for his son to direct as his mm -hmm. first feature, uh, and I'd only really wanted to be involved if I was going to direct it. But I did do some work on it. I went to White Cliffs and I went to this community that basically the law leaves alone. Uh, and it, there are, you know, there are Aboriginal communities there. Um, and, uh, but, you know, they, they're you know, pretty separate. Uh, and uh, there are a lot of uh, miners who dig these 60 foot shafts for opals. They, they carve you know, little caves out of the rock that they can live in, which is actually cool in, in summer and warm right. in winter. But I went down a bit of one of these, not quite 60 foot down, 20 feet is quite scary enough, mm -hmm. uh, narrow shaft where they dig for opals. Uh, and it's, you know, uh, looking at it from the air, it looks like the moon. There are all these, you know, Right, these craters, <laughs> craters, and uh, so um, so I experienced a little bit of the outback life that Ken Cook had obviously studied, um, and uh, this was White Cliffs in uh, New South Wales, uh, you know, and uh, uh, it's certainly a place I wouldn't want to be spending too much time in. Yeah, uh, and I think the f another thing that is just driven home is that. There's nothing to do out there. You yeah. are totally isolated, and the, as, but as long as the beer comes in, you've got something to distract yourself with. Yeah, that's right. No, they they told me at Whitecliffs, you know, this is where people who are on the run uh, hmm. from the if, if if as long as it's not some you know hmm. massive crime, not a serial killer, but someone's robbed right. a bank and they. They, this is a bolt hole they can go to. If they come out, they'll get them. But if they stay in this area, fine, over to you. You know, live well. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I noticed there were only two women in this whole movie. <laughs> Just uh, and, and Jeanette, one of them Jeanette and the woman at the hotel. Three. We only meet one of them, though, in... in john's dreams literally right she's just sort of uh, and and you know there's Robin, a there's yeah. a girl who gives him gives him a present as she's one of the his students that's obviously an admirer gives him a present on the way out but like the only two women's roles that have especially once we get into the town you know mm -hmm. they're, they're they're the only two women there is, is the receptionist and janet i think her name was and they're both hard as rocks. <laughs> yeah, you can tell you can tell the nature of the town just by the 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 expressions on both of their faces and the way they hold themselves. And uh, yeah, that I mean, they're captive slaves. Yeah, in a male prison, you know, uh, they 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 are there to move between the kitchen and the bedroom. 
uh, occasional visits to the bathroom. Uh, and that's the, that's the purpose of women in that town, it would yes. seem. Um, and, and, and yet Janet is looked down upon. Mm, oh, yeah. Well, women because are so, she uh, likes to have sex. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, and they make use of her, but they naturally look down. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's actually the line there where they're like, uh, you know, he'd rather talk to a woman than drink. What is what's yeah. wrong with this guy? You know, you know, that that's I experienced a little bit of that in 1966 in Australia. Um, uh, I would go to parties with the sort of all the TV crew guys uh, at the station. And, you know, it was a it was one big happy family working at channel 10 you know we were wow we're, we're working in at a, at a new television station the, the the last of the three well the three the latest of the three commercial television stations and then was the government station and you know we're th this is exciting and we had a, had a great sort of pride in in us in our station uh and enjoyed rivalry with the other stations uh, channel 7 and Channel 9. Uh, I eventually joined Channel 9, but that's another story. Uh, but, but, Which you, know, you can read about in Adventures in the Bee Trade, available on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, you know, I got you covered, Brian. Thank you very much. Well, look, it's out there. The hardcover has all the pictures in color, but it's more expensive than the, than the paperback. But anyway, back to social, well, let's say gender relationships, let's say in 1966. So I'd go to these kind of like keg parties uh, uh, where, you know, it, all the young lads and lasses would get together um, on a weekend or, uh, and, you know, I often found myself, you know, spending time in the kitchen with the girls. Well, because actually it was a good place to meet girls. Uh, yes. Guys were all in the other room drinking and you know, laughing and yahooing and whatever. And you know, I would get the occasional, yeah, what are you, you're doing in there with a girl? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, it was even, if, you see, if you hung out with the girls, you might be a pufter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's the logic of it, yeah. It's strange you know, logic there, but it makes a lot mind. of sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but you know, there, there was that. It's all part of toxic masculinity. Yeah, they and, they call it bros over bros over hose right now. Is the mm -hmm. is what? Well, honestly, much though your company is is delightful, um, I really like the company of women. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, they have you know. Certainly, you know, more empathy uh, I found than, than men uh, in my in, when I was growing up. Anyway, certainly in my in my early years in Australia, you know, uh, I, I, I you know I found women you know really interesting. But if you actually bothered to talk to them, uh, <laughs> you know, it was yeah, it was great. So, mm -hmm. uh, it, so but look, things improved in the seventies. You know, I'm talking the sixties. Things got better. Women started to demand their rights and thank God for that. Uh, and uh, uh, so, uh, but, the, you know, the social critique that this film offers, uh, it, it, I don't think is entirely exaggerated and not as exaggerated as the detractors of the film in 1970 um, believed. 
No, I don't. I don't even think it. It. It, it really had to. You know. I mean. Yeah. It, I. You know. I mean. And also the the thought that that this movie would represent all of all of Australia. You know. It's it's you can't. Well, that's just not how art works. <laughs> you know. Was, I mean, you, oh, was it Barry McKenzie? Well, Barry McKenzie, you know. The... I mean, he was doing, he was basically exploiting the same things and probably not as accurately. Well, the late, great Barry Humphreys, who devised the character of Barry McKenzie, um, mm. and uh, a, a great man, I, 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 I turned down the last film that he made, uh, Celez Patterson Saves the World. Uh, anyway, there's one to dig into sometime. Right. But no, I'm sorry, Barry. This is you think this is for me because it's wild and wacky, but for various reasons, I say no. And I cover that in the book. But uh, right. Barry is a great uh, social historian, let's say, and, and a social satirist and observer. Uh, and uh, so his Barry McKenzie is more the urban Australian lout. Right. Uh, uneducated uh you know with it but uh, not sort of consciously racist but one of those sort of unconsciously so like an australian archie bunker or something yeah, you know think of it he was yeah he kind of but a, but a young you know not a matured one like archie bunker right. uh, a young naive lad who's so sort of sexually inexperienced uh but uh, anyway, the, the, you, 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 if you have not seen The Adventures of Barry McKenzie, uh, and Barry McKenzie holds his own, or was going to be called Pulls It Off, but I think Holds His Own was maybe the safer title. Uh, but, um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, he, he, he's dealt with these types. But in Wake and Fright, Ken Cook was dealing with the the outer rurals, mm. their, you know, the, the, the culture that they had evolved uh, there that was, in a way, alcohol dependent. Um, and, uh, um, you know, it, it helped you live with the environment and just embrace it. And after all, eventually all smooths everything away. Uh, and the weird thing is you could you can build, a, like draw a line between this film and what George Miller ended up doing about 10 years ago. I mean, not 10 years, 10 years later in, yeah. uh, in Mad Max. It's yeah. the same sort of desolation, same sort of just, there's nothing out here. Civilization has do. been let go to just sort of. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we all can see how quickly a descent into barbarism can occur. And you're seeing that, you know, in Ukraine, uh, yeah, the way the Russian troops behaved uh, as soon as they you know, marched in, and you know, that they're, they're so. I'm not suggesting for one moment that you know, Australian rural Australians could descend right. into barbarism that quickly, or or have a history of it. But you know, obviously, there's a an unfortunate history with the indigenous natives uh, uh, in Australia, as there was in America. As there was throughout the you know, colonial nations' reach across the world, uh, awful things were done to 
um, people of color by people who looked like us. Uh, and, you know, while that's appalling, um, I, you know, all we can do is just not repeat the behavior. That's that's my attitude to it. Right. But um, anyway, it's, it, I, you know, there, there is a, you know, a, 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 if I wandered off the point slightly, but I think the, in, 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 let's say, these kind of rural communities, if you then take strip away civilization, uh, all the things you take for granted, water, light, heat, uh, rule of law, then you will get Mad Max. You will get warlordism. You, you'll get anarchy. Uh, and it's, you know, it, it can happen quickly uh, if there isn't a, you know, a strong community value. Now, it could be said that, you know, whatever happens in, in the Mad Max era, maybe the town of Broken Hill would band together and, and look after itself because, you know, they, they, they're all good mates. You know, mateship in Australia is a, is a, a really valid value. Uh, that I experienced from 1966 onwards. I'm half Australian on my father's side. Uh, and uh, um, so I don't wish to imply, you know, any criticism I make doesn't uh, diminish my affection uh, for Australia and my you know, enjoyment whenever I'm there. Um, and, you know, but it, it's, you know, uh, mateship um, is... Uh, something uniquely Australian, uh, and uh, I think you know, come, you know, Mad Max would would exist in the outback, but I don't think it would penetrate uh, a town like Broken Hill. Uh, they they'd circle the wagons around the pub uh, and defend their valleys, uh, and uh, uh, so yeah, that at least yeah, a pocket of civilization, albeit you know, uh, till the beer ran out. Um, would be preserved. Um, well, I think maybe I've been thinking just here just now that maybe I, when I watched this, I read it, didn't didn't read it as being like an offensive representation of Australians. Because when I think of like the analog to this in an American movie, like a re, like rednecks, like the rednecks in like uh, Deliverance or something. Where you would have, or you would have a small town, the the a similar small town with the residents and the sheriff and stuff. Mm. It would be portrayed in a movie. In reality, <clears throat> it w wouldn't be, you know, the exaggeration of a movie as you know the the sheriff in a redneck town equivalent of this would be a, a lot more threatening. That because every nobody here really there's really not i was expecting a lot more fighting in this movie there was some fighting but i was expecting you know in a a bar bar fights nightly and stuff like that but and and uh, i think it plays out in the game where he's like wait people are just throwing their money down there 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 should be a fight here all the time right and they said no but no we all, you, you we all watch out for going, each other. everybody knows what they put down and and the sheriff was making sure he knew he was a sheriff and you know that he took care of things but the sheriff seemed genuinely to be a, a, a decent guy and not yeah, you know well, there, there were times when he'd joke at the sheriff and you'd see him just sort of be like oh geez you know <laughs> okay you got me and 
there, there's a genuine friendliness that runs through it that that makes it even more seductive you know you can see him when he's drink he, the first few drinks before the first few drinks he's scowling at everybody three or four drinks in he's starting to starting to laugh at the jokes and starting to smile and then he's fully participating and even maybe going a little too far <laughs> so well the interesting irony of the film and that's how deep and clever wake and fright is is that in the end he is saved from total disgrace and you know, God knows what uh, after his suicide attempt and um, you know, his total penury. He's basically saved by it, it, the, the dissolute doctor, uh, uh, a you know, key citizen of the, of the town, because he has, he, he's, he's able to practice as a doctor uh, right. Well, he, he makes that point in yeah. the at, during the second act that uh, I chose this. Yeah. No, he he has complete personal freedom. He can mm -hmm. he can be as drunk as he likes. He can fuck whoever he likes, uh, even if that includes Gary Bond, uh, because there are no rules to him. Because rules are absurd. Because the world is absurd. Uh, and so why bother? So that's the, those are the values he has embraced. And, but he, because he's a doctor, he was going to make sure he saved his life. Mm -hmm. like he had been, he, yeah, I think it was quite well done. You need to know, um, you'd think, yeah, luckily he'd, he'd put the gun towards the side of his head. So maybe it, it just grazed. It just grazed him, him. yeah. And when, when it went off, when the door opened with a bang, um, but but you know, on the doctor who is basically Satan uh, and the 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 cop the the, the town you know uh, despot effectively the benign despot um, they both get him out of the trouble he could be in and get him back on the road to recovery so he can go back where he he was uh, maybe a wiser man uh, and. Uh, so they don't take advantage, you know, and just toss him in a ditch or put him in jail or anything like that. Uh, they, they know the best way out for him is this, you know, sign this document, get you well, get you on a train, back to your teaching position. And so in a way, you, you, you've, you've been made to hate the Chips Rafferty character uh, th throughout the film, but at the end, he should, he comes good because, you know, this is what he does. He solves local problems. He he, he doesn't necessarily wish to punish anybody. Uh, we learn that his authority is earned. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. in the end, you know, he is actually good for the community, and mm -hmm. that's an interesting thing that has maybe escaped uh, the the critics of its critique of. Society uh, that actually, uh, you know, uh, it's not it's not all that it seems on the surface. Uh, right. And uh, so I, I think that's good, and I, I think that is beginning to be understood by Australian audiences that maybe are rediscovering it. And I, I, I kind of played the the same game with in a totally unrelated you know, film and unrelated genre, Night of the Demons Two, where I set up Sister Gloria, the, mm -hmm. the nun, 
uh, at St. Rita's Academy for Troubled Teens, who's waxed with a yardstick and is, is an archetypal sort of um, you know, Catholic horror in a way. Yeah. Uh, but she's the girl that saves the day and becomes a ninja nun and defeats the demons. And they she should hit. team up with the with the priest yeah. from Dead Alive. That that's right. That's right. Uh, anyway, so look, it's um, it, it, it is a good dramatic device to uh, to make you think that's the target, and then wait, wait a minute. Now I have to think. Uh, differently about that character and the, the values that I thought were being criticized. So. It, it almost reminded me of when you have a new job or you're, you're, you start a new job, except, and you know, when you, when you start working at some place, all the characters from that job are going to show up and, and feel you out. And it's almost like when he went to the town, they thought, you know, this guy's kind of an okay guy. Um, and so, yeah. you know, the, 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 the local rich guy with the daughter shows up and the sheriff shows up, everybody at Donald Pleasant say, and you know, the sheriff sort of maneuvers him and sits him right down, you know, maneuvers him into dinner and sits him down next to Donald Pleasant's and leaves. And so all the, all the main social characters get to meet him and go like, yeah, that's a guy's okay. Let's see how he can drink. Uh, maybe not. Oh, maybe he's pretty good. And then at the end, they're like, ah, yeah, no, you're a good guy. And it, 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 it probably does. You're probably not meant to be here. Well, uh, there is an ambivalence you know, fixed up and go out about your way. Yeah, there, there's an ambivalence to this film that we don't usually get in American. Uh, another film that I thought of while I was watching this was the Walter Hill film Southern Comfort. Yeah, because oh. it's another one where we push we push at the at the land and the land pushes right back at us but there um the the cajuns in that film are are totally black they are a bad Invisible. thing from, yeah they are they're they're little more than monsters in that film. i, I miss yeah. i missed that one on my list of movies that i that this reminds me of i had straw dogs the the lighthouse mm. um recently that the lighthouse especially for the scene where they're where he and donald pleasance are drinking and end up sort of in a little embrace and and it goes bad and uh the the last movie the dennis hopper movie mm -hmm. it, it, there was a similar vibe of people going downhill in the country but but this one has its feel mm -hmm. all yeah. to itself you know yeah. this this isn't real this is more about the town more even than the outsider that comes into it, you know, whereas... Yeah, don't you love the, some of the prices of the time? Oh, I mean, like oh, oh, yes. Hotel room, $4 for the night and then a dollar deposit for the key. And, and, uh, and a dollar for the steak. Yes. Yeah, yes. And, and that's accurate because when I landed in Melbourne in 1966, four, four years before this film was, was yeah, released, mm -hmm. uh, I got off the ship and I had a day. I already had a job interview that a cousin had set up for me, uh, but I chose not to stay in Melbourne and got back on the ship. Uh, but he took me, my cousin took me to um, a, a famous pub in Melbourne where we had a porterhouse steak and it was huge <laughs> and it was a dollar 25. 
So anyway, there you go. Yeah, one, one of my favorite things is uh, going garage sailing, and quite often I'll find, you know, people are cleaning out their grandparents' house and stuff. And and back in the days, if someone went to a fancy restaurant, they would save a menu from it. And so you'll find these folders full of their grandmothers from, you know, that sometimes from the twenties and your thirties, forties, and the prices are. Un, you know, there's uh, five five cents and ten cents and twenty five cents items in the in the fancy places. It was. So his dollar that he had in his pocket went a lot farther <laughs> farther than than it does plays today. Yeah. Well, I mean, has a dollar. Well, I'd take your dollar yet, but you know he's he's bit of. I mean, the I suppose the most you know. If if one could critique a contrivance, it's that he didn't say, "I want to ride to Sydney," with the because he saw this line Sydney yeah. on. The, and he no, said I, this, the way I interpreted that was that he said, "I want to ride to Sydney," but the guy misheard. He said, well, the guy said something like, "I'm going uh, to the city" or something like that. I yeah. Okay. He assumed that the only city was Sydney. Not so. If yep. all these towns think <laughs> yep. that they are uh, Sydney, oh, just as a little bug I have to get rid of. Okay. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> so Chris, would you recommend people watch? Although we should, I guess we should talk about briefly about that scene. The kangaroos. The kangaroo scene, yes. which was this was a, a government this was a government endorsed hunting trip. Yeah. That um, the the filmmakers went on, so because it was part of a calling, I mean, similar to what we do with deer up with here. With deer here, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they they believe there's too many of them. Sorry, I'm just. It's okay. This cat, can I get a come here? Come on, so cat. Uh, <laughs> oh well. Um, so uh, anyway, so yes, it did. It, it, it they went and shot a, or had the hunters, you know, went and you know, uh, did their professional job in uh, culling uh, um, the herd, so to speak, because um, sheep farmers, you know, feel that the kangaroo, in ever multiplying numbers, uh, is eating the resources of um, uh, that it would be available to their sheep um, and uh, so anyway this is fun oh hello yes hello. yeah anyway she's you know a, a regular at these things and uh, she <laughs> likes movies she does i mean they the, both cats sat and watched in a totally darkened room on a 60-inch screen, Fantasia, mm -hmm. and they really, they they liked it. Well, that's how Tabitha got her name because when we first got her, she was a rescue, so she was Tabitha the rescue cat. But after a while, of course, she's no longer rescued, oh. and she had a habit. She has a habit of of sitting with me when I'm watching movies. Yeah, yeah, same. So. Although I will say that there have been films where she will watch and then she'll go like, nah, this sucks, and well, walk out. We, cro <laughs> we crossed a line in TV in, in monitor fidelity mm. to where it, it, 
doesn't become just shapes on, shapes and noises on a screen to animals they can it's it's it looks enough like something real mm -hmm. so and when my cat gets in my lap I'll uh, sometimes I'll just flip on a live bird bird feeding cam and she it's just like she's at the window watching the birds out the window she's mm -hmm. just yeah, on the screen watching everything once they see the noises or hear the noises they see the movements they yes. see things slower than we do, apparently. So my son right. tells me. Uh, but uh, um, anyway, they, they're interesting creatures to watch, and they do like music. Yes. This will come, yeah. We have a pool. Although Tabitha pool. will not abide by Bjork. By Bjork. Yeah. Yes. For some reason. Well, she likes Rush. Um, okay. Yes. Yes. She likes Puccini opera. She likes Ennio Morricone. Uh, she'll come into the garage, which we've, you know, converted into a, a pool table room, uh, and uh, um, she will come and sit there watching us play pool. Which, uh, anyway, okay. well, look, we need to wrap this up soon. Yes, I was yes. about to say that. I know we promised you that we'd only keep you for an hour, my friend. My cat but, gets fed at four thirty, so. so let's ask Chris. Do you recommend? wake and fright oh yeah i highly recommend it i this was my first time viewing it i mean that's the that's the idea of the show is something i've right. never seen before um yeah i'm gonna watch this multiple times i've i've mm. kind of have already i i um you know would i watched it and then i went back through and watched certain parts over again mm. I, I i really like this movie it's up there sort of in in the straw dogs yeah, it's it's kind of like Straw Dogs is a was a formative movie for me. I saw when I saw Straw Dogs, and it just blew me away. But this, in a way, I think is a better movie. It's not quite as like lurid as Straw Dogs, and get into genre stereotypes or genre. Yeah, right. Although it does follow a very you know a classic pattern. Uh, a step by step, you watch him through his own, you know, fatal flaws, uh, go deeper, deeper into hell. Um, but, but I think the writer and the director approached it almost in a Pinteresque fashion. I think if you listen to the patterns of the dialogue, particularly anything involving, um, you know, Donald Pleasance. Uh, but also in, in, in a number of other scenes, uh, they don't quite go the full Robert Altman overlapping dialogue, right. which was um, uh, in the 70s. But they it really you know, went out to, uh, to convey a, a realistic sense of the way people talk to each other. Uh, uh, and uh, it, 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 all the horrors of the film all spring naturally from character and situation, uh, and they never, they never go into the area of melodrama. And uh, so I, I say that Wake and Fright is Australia's first horror film, and as well as being a, a great Australian film uh, of yeah. all time. And I think it's integral yeah. to shaping the direction the Australian film industry yeah. took yeah. throughout I mean, the seventies. Uh, it's all, you know, obviously, I recommend it as well. Yes. No, and I, once again, we want to remind people that Brian Trenchard Smith's amazingly informative. This man 
I think, has forgotten more about movies than everybody in this audience listening right now has 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 learned. Well, you're very kind. You're very and kind. his book, Adventures in the Bee Trade. Which, the Bee Trade. Anyways, to give it its proper title. Yes. Okay. Sorry. In, in the Bee Trade. I, I apologize. I'm trying to. I'm trying to, to hype you. And I'm Good, right. Doing a fine job. Uh, anyway. Um, but nice. it's available through Amazon. It, I've, I got it for my birthday two years ago as a gift to myself. Loved it. And if you're interested in making movies, it's one of those essential texts. Because it talks a lot about the business of movie making, which is what I liked about it. Mm -hmm. So uh, also he has a novel that is still available through Amazon called Alice's Adventures Through the Multiverse. Yes. And it, uh, you could probably see him because he's doing, you're doing a lot of uh, special appearances with uh, your films lately. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I do it. Sometimes I do them by uh, remote. Uh, but I recently uh, introduced The Man from Hong Kong, uh, which was being released theatrically again just for six nights in Shinjuku, Tokyo. Uh, ahead of the Blu-ray release, that uh, it hasn't been seen on the big you know, on the big screen, and, and and frankly, I think it maybe it was shown on VHS in the uh, in the 80s. But it hasn't been seen in Japan since then, and now it's there on on, on, on the giant screen, and it's a it's a, it's a good big screen movie. Uh, and so I introduced that for the uh, the Japanese audience at the opening night in Japanese. I... We should probably, Chris, coordinate with Greg Lamberson and see if we can get Brian to uh, remotely introduce one of his films for the Buffalo Dreams Festival. Ooh. Well, that's possible. Um, and certainly, but... I, if anyone wants to bring me to a, 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 an interesting you know, weekend of uh, screenings of my films in a particular township of your choice, um, and then that is also a, a possibility. You have three or four films in a weekend, and um, yeah, I can chatter about them. Uh, and uh, so that's you know that that's that's another way to go. Uh, so you get a bit of variety. Um, and I must say, it is always I look forward to this time every year. It is always a pleasure to host you on this show. Yeah. Well, and um, I, I'm looking. We're going to have to do a more fun film though next month, next year. Well, well, yes, one that raises a bit more of a laugh. But this is a very fine film, and any any anyone wanting to study fine films should study *Wake in Fright* and and look at its subtleties. Look at the way it blends. You know, look at the way he uses a lot of low angles, which are uh, they're part of the, the the visual tapestry of horror films. But he points up the threatening atmosphere of uh, a number of scenes with his use of low angles. The, the look at the music. The music oh, the has music. A, a a chilling eerie quality to it uh, that suits the landscape, obviously. There is a constant sort of uh, creeping dread 
that is you know, subtly uh, goosed uh, in the, the, the soundtrack and in the succession of, uh, of escalating disasters that happened to Gary Bond, who incidentally was a, an actor in uh, Zulu in mm-hmm. 19- with, with Michael Caine, yeah, uh, he 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 played the soldier who dies uh, on the operating table, saying why, uh, and he had a bit of a career, but he never had the career that Michael Caine had. Mm. Uh, and it's interesting because Michael Caine got the role in Zulu uh, because the actor they had cast um, somehow couldn't make it, dropped out, something happened, and literally. At a couple of days' notice, Michael Caine, who had auditioned, I think, for for Hook or for mm-hmm. the Cockney characters, uh, was told, "Oh, you're going to play L- Lieutenant Bromhead." Uh, mm-hmm. I think, uh, whereas, say, Gary Bond would have been an ideal person to have promoted to be that to be a young, inexperienced upper-class officer. Well, he's definitely got in this film. Uh, a little bit of a Michael York vibe. Michael York, yes. Jan Michael Vincent, a little bit. Yeah. No Michael York, though, yeah. York, I worked with him on Omega Code 2. He's a wonderful mm-hmm. and, uh, uh But anyway, that, that just sort of give you a bit of the Gary Bond backstory uh, mm-hmm. because he, 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 for whatever reason, they didn't say, oh, we're in a, we, we've got a problem. We need a new Lieutenant Bromhead. What about this uh, very handsome, well-spoken young actor, Gary Bond? We could promote him. But for some reason, they they somehow knew that Michael Caine could do the upper-class British accent. Maybe he did it at the audition or something. And, then, <laughs> and the Cy Raker Enfield, who's quite a smart director, uh, thought, oh, interesting. And so when the crisis occurred, they went for him, and the rest is history, as they say. Anyway, that's those are my sentiments about Wake in Fright, right. and I thank you for having me. Uh, you I are have- always. This door is wide open for you whenever, you, uh-huh. whenever you have something else you want to promote. You let us know; we will make time for you, my friend. You know, I hate a chat, but I will do it for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you very much. I will say good afternoon. Oh. Or good evening, wherever it is, and I'll raise a glass to you. And uh, in, in honor of the alcoholism of Wake in Fright, which I recommend, uh, all those who want to drink too much take a good hard look at this movie and say, <laughs> ah, maybe not. Okay. Just, just go to YouTube and look for the person who clipped all the every drink taken in Wake in Fright into one one sequence, and it's oh. it's grueling. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! It's All seven right. minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much. I will say goodbye. Goodbye, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. And Chris? Yes. Oh, there he goes. Yep, he's he is gone. Uh, we we love we absolutely adore this man. This man is a treasure. Um, and next next month. Um, we're going to start our summer program, our, our two-part summer program, which I like to call Zadoichi Summer. And you know what's really funny? As I what? was on Facebook 
the other day and and one of my facebook friends who i've never met who's a new york city resident he's a he's a lifelong bronx resident mm-hmm. isaac a- a- ambrose moore was just changing it just changed his profile picture to a picture of zatoichi well, without any watch- and anything and he goes he goes summer's here <laughs> and i wrote him and i go you you have no idea how much that is mirroring my life right now <laughs> yes. so so for the next two summer months we are going to look at two different films from two different countries that were influenced by the legendary uh japanese samurai series zatoichi about a blind swordsman uh next month which is July, you and I will get together and look at Blind Man, the the Spaghetti Western, influenced by Zatoichi. Oh, yes, with Ringo. That's right, Ringo is in this film, and that is your, um, that's your assignment for next month. And in August, we'll be looking at the Philip, another Australian, Philip Noyce film, Blind Fury with the late, great, legendary Rutger Howard. Excellent. So, until then, you have your assignment, Lab Monkey. It's back to shenanigans next month. So, go! Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. That is freaky.